0: Hey, Trailblazers, it's Jesse. Welcome to another episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture, a podcast for anyone interested in hearing the stories of the agriculture industry's pioneers and innovators. On today's episode of the Trailblazing podcast, I visit with Taryn Dreeling, a Nebraska rancher, wife, mom, and beef industry advocate. Taryn launched her blog, Faith, Family, and Beef, in 2014. On her platform, Taryn shares about her family's everyday life, caring for cattle on a ranch in the Nebraska Sandhills. She shares delicious recipes featuring beef and much more. Today, Taryn and I talk about ranch life, how she started her blog, and how it has evolved over the years, ultimately becoming a platform where she openly shares about her life with readers. Taryn's passion for the beef industry and being open and genuine with her readers is very evident, and I'm excited for you to hear her story. Welcome to the Trailblazing and Agriculture podcast, Taryn. Agriculture and the beef industry specifically are in your blood, so to speak. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: I grew up on a small feed yard in Northeast Nebraska where my parents still live and my family's been raising beef for over 40 years, probably really close to 50, if not more years there. I went to high school and then I went to college and wanted to be a veterinarian and ended up going into feed yard management. I got married and my husband and I have three kids and now we live and work on a large ranch in the sandhills of Nebraska.
0: So you talked about, obviously your family has those deep roots in agriculture. What
1: was it like growing up on the feed yard, Taryn? I felt really fortunate getting to grow up on a feed yard because I felt like I got a front row seat to something that a lot of people don't get to see. And so that was really cool. And I've always had a deep love for animals. And so getting to take care of them and raise them and know that they were going on for a greater purpose, that was just really cool to me as a kid. So when you were growing up, were you
0: active kind of in some of those day-to-day operations on the feed yard or what did like some of your involvement maybe look like Taryn?
1: So when I got into junior high, I was able to go and help out on the weekends when I wasn't in school or if we had snow days or whatever. And in the summertime, I didn't help out maybe as much as I wanted to. But when I was there, I got to clean tanks and ride pins and help on processing days when we vaccinated cattle and things like that. And I was always like if the vet was out doing anything, I was always right there watching because I was very interested in that.
0: You mentioned that after high school, you attended the University
1: of Nebraska-Lincoln
0: and ultimately majored in animal science with a focus on feedlot management. As you thought about attending college, did you know you wanted to remain involved in the beef industry or how did you decide on your major turn and what did that look like for you? From the time I
1: was, I don't know, probably a first grader. I don't I don't think it was in kindergarten yet because I, I specifically remember a piece of paper, like an assignment that my mom kept that said that when I grew up, I wanted to be a jockey, like a horse racing jockey in kindergarten, Nice, (laughs) but probably first grade on, I really wanted to become a veterinarian. And I, I never wavered from that until I got to college and physics happened. It turns out I'm not really great at physics and you need to Get a better grade than I did in physics in order to become a veterinarian. So, um, when I came to that realization, I was, I talked to my advisor and he's like, Why don't you know, he kind of knew my background a little bit and he's like, Have you ever considered feed yard management? And I was like, No, but that's interesting. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it was the perfect option for me. And I can specifically remember the phone call to my dad. When I was in the midst of changing my major from pre-vet to animal science with emphasis in feed yard management, I was just so excited. Like I just felt like that was the right place for me and the right fit. And I was really excited. And I can remember in the hall of my dorm telling my dad all about it. And
0: and was he excited, like as excited as you were? I mean, obviously since he was in the feedlot industry, turn.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, like he was sup- gonna support me either way, but yes, he was excited too. You changed
0: your major then, and then what did that kind of look like after you graduated college? What, where did you end up at?
1: So as part of my degree, I had to do uh, an internship and I chose to do the feedlot management internship through UNL. And so I think it was six weeks of classroom work, and then we got to go to our feed yards to intern. And I went to a feed yard in the panhandle of Nebraska and I got to do everything from, they started me out in the feed truck so that I could learn the layout of the, of the yard. So I started out feeding cattle and then I learned about reading bunks and then I moved over to the animal health crew. While I was there, they had a member of the animal health crew that quit and, I ended up staying on at that feed yard. I never left until I did. <laughs> yeah. Cause
0: you worked there then for seven years, right? Yes, I did work there for seven years. And were you on the animal health crew or what did, what did your work there look like? And what were, what was your favorite part of that whole experience?
1: Yeah. So I was on the animal health crew primarily, and then I started learning, uh, well, Actually, I learned this when I got when we got pregnant with our son because they immediately told me I couldn't ride my horse anymore. So <laughs> I got to do things that were not horse related. And I learned how to um grind corn and I ran the which I did this on my internship too, but I ran the payloader that loaded the feed for the cattle or mixed the feed for the cattle. And but the animal health crew was definitely my favorite part. And then you said that you obviously left um,
0: and I, that was when you and your husband went to work on, on the ranch that you're currently on. Correct.
1: Yes. So in the summer of 2013, um, the feed yard where I worked, it was a corporate feedlot and they sold our location. And at the same time, my husband had the offer to come to work on this ranch where we're at now. And we had kind of made the decision that he was just going to stay where he was and I was going to stay where I was. And we were just going to go that route for a while. But then the ranch where he was working eliminated his position. So he accepted this position at this ranch. And I ended up staying on for a couple of months at the feed yard under the new owner. But the drive time was a lot longer. We had to switch daycare providers and I had to leave our house at five 30. And then by the time I got home, it was like six 30 at night. And I, it was exhausting and I ultimately decided that I was going to stop resisting what I now know was God's plan for me and resign my position at the feedlot. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy decision, but I, I definitely don't regret it now knowing what I know now.
0: Yeah, that definitely like as a mom of one, soon to be two, like those sound like very long days um, with little ones around and just like the type of work that you do. So I can imagine how, how exhausting that would be, but also like when you love your job, I'm sure it was such a difficult decision uh, to make.
1: Yes, it was, it was not easy. It was, it was several weeks of Agonizing over what to do because I knew I wasn't a very nice person to be around because I was just so exhausted. <laughs> but at the same time, it was really hard letting go.
0: But again, like we talked about, it's amazing what what can happen when you do, and and life takes those different journeys. And I'm excited to dive into that too in just a little bit. So ranch life obviously doesn't have a typical day per se. Every day is different, but. For you and your husband and your, and your kids, what does a typical day maybe look like for you and your family on the ranch?
1: So it kind of depends on the season. Like right now, the kids, all of our kids are in school. It's weird because this is the first year that all of them have been been in school all day. It's strange because I feel like I'm forgetting something all the time, but we get ready for school in the morning and we live on a road with several families that have kids. So we kind of, the end of the road comes here and then we go to the next place and drop kids. So we have a carpool. So once I get back from taking the kids up for bus stop carpool, then we chore. And this time of year it's, you know, kicking the heifers or supplementing with cubed protein. Some, some people don't know what cake is. Some people call it range, range cubes, you know, but we call it cake or haying or, you know, feeding hay or moving the, the cattle, we have a grazing plan, a rotational grazing plan that's year round. And so we're moving the herd every three to five days, pretty much year round in the wintertime when in the dormant season, we have a little more leeway than we do in the growing season, but that's what the school year kind of looks like. And then starting in May, we start calving. And so for those first couple of weeks of May, it's kind of a challenge because we want to be out in the calving pasture just as soon as the sun rises. But one of us has to take the kids up to the bus stop. And so when school lets out like that second or third week in May, it's you know up and atom before the sun and everybody is out in the calving pasture. And then all summer long. It's just, the kids are with us and we're moving cows and doing our thing.
0: What a neat experience for them too to be able to grow up and be immersed in that. And like you said with you, you know, before the sun is up and, and just get to getting to experience
1: that lifestyle. I've been asked before what my favorite part of ranching is and hands down 110%. It's raising our kids in this lifestyle. I just think that it's so cool watching them. Like teaching them what we do and why we do it, but also watching them learn and grow in their passion for what we do. It's just like, it's one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of.
0: How many head roughly Taryn do you have and and manage on your operation?
1: Um, we take care of several hundred head of cows. And then we also, depending on the year we'll have, you know, another herd of a few hundred head of replacement heifers. So definitely keeps you busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Obviously this time
0: of year, um, you know, it's, it's winter for much of the country, but recently it's no secret that a lot, a large portion of the country has been experiencing very cold temperatures and, and not such ideal weather conditions, And as someone who works with livestock, you've had, you know, obviously experienced that firsthand. You're out there with those animals. What has life looked like on the ranch lately as you've dealt with the current uh, weather conditions, Taryn?
1: I mean, anytime that we're expecting a winter storm or really cold temperatures, it's kind of a prep and pray situation. Like we do everything that we can for the cattle in our care, like with this last 10 day severely cold snap. We moved our herd into a more protected pasture. We've been kind of running them on the meadows this winter and the meadows are flat and there's not a lot of protection, so we moved them into the hills and then we fed them a lot of hay within the protection of the hills and we were out there caking and every day making sure that they had water. And I mean a couple of years ago, this this cold snap for us here in Nebraska was nothing like the storm of march twenty nineteen and thankfully we weren't calving through that, but that was definitely we did everything that we could leading up to it, and we just prayed through it and and things for us weren't didn't end up quite as poor as for for some of our other friends and neighbors prep and pray <laughs> yeah, that's a good philosophy, and I think you know that's something that
0: for those who aren't involved in agriculture, kind of just take it for granted or, or maybe just don't even realize, you know, the work that goes into making sure that those animals are cared for and that you're doing everything, like you said, that you can to make sure that they have protection and feed and water to do the best that you can to care for them through very challenging uh, circumstances that you have no control over.
1: Yes. I won't lie to you. What happened over the course of the last two weeks in the South? Like it's very, it sounds very insensitive probably to other people. It definitely does to me, but I kind of have to like stop looking at the news, stop watching my newsfeed because I just see that devastation and it just breaks my heart. And I, I have to step away for a minute and remember, like, I have to look for the light and the good. And I, I mean, all this to say, my heart goes out to everyone who struggled through the past 10 days because it was winter where it's not ever winter. And when you're not used to dealing with that, it's devastating.
0: Yeah. And like you said, they're they have nothing really to compare it to, you know, I feel like up here, like I'm in North Dakota, you're in Nebraska. Like you kind of have some, some ability to kind of know like, okay, this is winter. Like we could experience some of this stuff for, but for those people in the South, like they just haven't ever really had to experience that. And just having to kind of navigate, how do you deal with the snow and frozen waters and all of that stuff, things that they've never had to really do before.
1: Yeah. And, and like here, we kind of expect it or we can be ready for it. And our infrastructure and things like that is built knowing that that could happen. Like, I don't even remember the last time we had cold, like we had the last 10 days, two weeks, but in the South, they're just not like, they never, it doesn't happen. So they're not built for it you know, we can handle it because we can kind of expect it and we're built for it. And it just, it just, it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like you said, definitely have been
0: sending good vibes and thoughts and prayers to everyone as they navigate through all of the things that mother nature is throwing their way. I wanna transition a little bit, Taryn. So in addition to the work that you do on the ranch with your husband, you started blogging in 2014. And so through your blog, Faith, Family, and Beef, you have the opportunity to connect with readers. You share about raising your family and raising beef in Nebraska Sandhills on the ranch and kind of what that all looks like. Tell me what made you wanna start a blog and, and what did that look like for you?
1: When I was still at the feed yard, Facebook was around, but it was kind of in its infancy and Instagram hadn't been born quite yet. I mean, it came while I was still working at the feed yard, but social media was like in the baby stages. And already then just being on Facebook, I could see there was a disconnect between the people growing the food and the people eating the food, which we all eat food, but the people eating the food that don't grow the food. And I wanted to do more to help bridge that gap, so to speak, because we know that the average person is at least two generations removed from the farm. And so you don't know what you don't know. And I just wanted to help people like see what we do every day. I wanted to do more. But honestly, when I was working at the feedlot, I did not have the time, nor the bandwidth to do as much as I would have liked to do in that way of talking to people about what we do raising beef or, you know, where their beef comes from and how it's raised and all of that. What are some of the things, you know,
0: that you write about on the blog and and what are some of those topics that are most popular and resonate most with your readers, Taryn?
1: Well, so my name of my blog is really original because it's what I write about (laughs) faith, family and beef. Um, Honestly, one of my more popular topics within those categories is marriage. Whenever I talk about marriage, a lot of people are interested and uh, um, a lot of people come read what I have to say about it. And I'm not really quite sure why that is, but I'm glad that they're coming.
0: I was just going to say, like, what do you think it makes them do that? How long have you and your husband been married, Taryn?
1: We have been married. Let's see. It'll be 14 years
0: in July. So you have lots of, I mean, experiences to draw on. And, And sometimes I feel like people just, people just want to learn from other people or are curious about what works for them. And so that's really interesting though, that you say that that's one of your most popular topics.
1: I think Maybe what draws people in is that I'm very honest about how much we struggled. Like I did not realize when we had our son, what a change that would be. And I sort of got my priorities out of order and it it landed us. I mean, this is not, I'm not taking on all the fault. My husband has some fault in this too, but <laughs> um, it, we were in basically roommate mode, like, and not friendly roommates. We lived in the same house, but we were not anywhere near close to husband and wife. And then a wife of a coworker and friend of Tom's was like, Hey, we're going to have this group Bible study. Do you guys want to come? And Tom was like, she, she's kind of laid it out there. Like, I think it could really help you and Taryn. And so Tom asked me about it and I was like, yeah, let's go. And we didn't know it until we got there the first night, but it wasn't just Bible study. It was the love dare and we did it. We did the love dare, each one of us. And that is pretty much what turned, not pretty much. It is what turned our marriage around. And so I've just candidly talked about that on my blog. And, you know, every so often I bring marriage back up and I, 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 suspect that it's that honesty and not sugarcoating it. Because before that, before we went through our struggles, I kind of just thought that like the person that you're supposed to be with, it should just be easy, you know, like fairy tale, but it's not, it's hard. It's work. It's work worth doing, but it's work.
0: Yeah, it is. It's work every day. That's for sure. And, and I think, like you said, people appreciate when you're genuine with them. Right. And like you don't sugarcoat it and you just are truthful and upfront with them. And, and I think that they can relate to that. How has your blog Taryn evolved since you started it in 2014?
1: The reason I was able to start it is because we moved to the ranch and I was now a full-time stay-at-home mom and ranch wife. I helped out on the ranch. I had a lot of learning to do back then because feedlots and ranches are not the same, but it afforded me more time to do what I wanted to do, talking to people and, and sharing the story of agriculture and beef and all the things. And when I started, I subscribed to the belief that if I built it, they would come because I'd heard enough well, I did the masters of beef advocacy in 2009 and I attended cattlemen's meetings and I knew enough to know. And and like I said, I'd been on social media. I knew enough to know that people were interested in learning where their food came from. And so I just thought, you know, I'll just start telling people how we do things here on the ranch and they'll just show up and, and want to read my blog because they're seeking this information out. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Uh, I was writing about things that they might have wanted to know, but they didn't really care about that wasn't at the front of their mind. And so over the last six years, I have kind of shifted how I do things where I still talk about, you know, because like my first one of my first blogs was The Joy of Caking. Well, if you don't know what caking is, you're probably not going to click on that link to read that article and that was pretty much all of the things that i was writing was things like that like about our grazing plan and caking and moving cows and and nothing really relating to people outside of agriculture sure my friends and family and my peers showed up and read my stuff and and i appreciated that but i wasn't really doing what i wanted to do so over the last 6 years i've kind of shifted and i write more about motherhood and like I said, marriage and my faith, my faith has really grown over the last six, eight years. And I feel way more comfortable sharing about that. And I think that is a better way for me to connect with people outside of agriculture. So then I can sprinkle in like the, the caking and the moving cows and the grazing plans and things like that. So I would say, yes, I've shifted. Yeah. Well,
0: like you said, once you kind of have their ear, right. And you have kind of built that trust or they, they get to really see the authentic Taryn, then they're probably more willing to read about some of those other topics that are more related to the beef industry and things like that. I would guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That connection. Yeah. And I think that's what people are seeking, even though it's you know digitally right like they're still seeking that connection to someone and and that information
1: yeah i mean if i'm being honest that's why i'm on social media is for connection so i would be silly to think that that would be different for others i think yeah for sure
0: you talked about i mean obviously you write about faith family and beef so beef is one of those pillars that you write about and i mean you don't really shy away from topics that aren't always easy to talk about with consumers Hard topics like antibiotic and growth hormone use, sustainability, and even maybe just other questions that consumers have about beef. Why is it important to you to address these topics that are so important to the beef industry on your platform, Taryn?
1: Well, a lot of these topics that are maybe a little bit harder for me to write about, I'll say that it's harder. It's harder to write about them. And it's harder because these topics are so often misunderstood and misrepresented. And it's important for me to talk about them because I want to provide the backstory or the other side of the story, another perspective than what people might be getting elsewhere. I want to give them a real life look at ranch life and raising beef And it's important that I do that because I do feel like these topics are misunderstood and misrepresented a lot.
0: I imagine that as you write about some of those more difficult topics that you receive feedback from readers or consumers who maybe think differently about some of those topics, how do you respond when you receive criticism on some of that
1: information that you share, Taryn? With kindness, always with kindness, because here's the thing. When I was a new mom or maybe even before when I was pregnant, we'll say with our first son, like I had no idea about a lot of things and that was my perspective then. And that's the only thing that I had to go on was what I knew or what, what friends or my mom or my grandma shared with me. I didn't know. And so I've got to think that the person who's giving the criticism or making the comment they're Only going off of what they know and from their perspective. They've never seen another perspective. And if I can offer that to them, then I'm going to. And sometimes I won't lie, sometimes it's hard to respond with kindness, especially if it's very harsh criticism. But I think that I get a lot further, or that we, we as humans in general can get a lot further if we respond always with kindness and give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they just don't know. And so that's kind of where I come from when I'm responding to comments and criticism like that.
0: On the flip side of that, um, you know, the opposite of criticism, I wonder if you'd be willing to share about an experience where you've been able to address misinformation with a consumer or a reader on your blog that's ultimately kind of maybe changed their perspective on the beef industry.
1: Yeah. So I also have written for, uh, I don't know what the word is like a group blog. Like they take submissions. It's called Her View from Home. And a few summers ago, Her View from Home had a writer's retreat. And so a bunch of the writers from all across the country got together, and met for the first time and visited and connected and we have the group on Facebook where we all kind of connected there so then when we went to the writer's retreat it was you know kind of like you were meeting your friends in real life not kind of it was like meeting friends in real life the internet is a weird place because you can meet real friends online Um, but we got to meet in in real life and we were sitting around the table having lunch and one of the other writers that I had just met for the first time was talking about her son and how he has some diagnosis that uh, his doctor suggests that he eats a certain kind of diet. And she was talking about how it was really expensive to buy organic beef, but that's what, that's what they, their doctor had recommended. And I, I was like, well, can I help you out? And she was all about Listening and she even asked, she says, Can you tell me what the difference between organic and conventional beef is? And I said, Yes, yes, I can. Organic is a way of raising the beef where you know you don't use any antibiotics or growth hormones or things like that. All the feed has to be organic. And conventional beef is raised where the producer can use those things. That doesn't mean they do, but they can. And at the end of the day, the end product is essentially the same. Like it's statistically the same. Both are safe, wholesome and nutritious products. They're the same. And she gave me the biggest hug. And she's like, you have single handedly saved my family's grocery budget because I thought I had to buy organic and things like that, like simple little conversations like that. Oh my gosh. They just. They make me feel like I'm making a difference.
0: (laughs) And it sounds so simple, right? Like just like like you said, that simple conversation of just being able to honestly answer that question and tell them the truth. And I'm sure you have many more stories like that, that you could talk about for hours of just the opportunity for you to use your platform in a way to, to address some of that and, and make a difference.
1: Knowing that I'm helping people is what makes it all worth it. Like that's my, my number one goal is to help people. You
0: mentioned it earlier, um, but you were one of the original participants of the Masters of Beef Advocacy Program in 2009. Talk about what that experience was like, Taryn, and did your participation in that program have anything to do with jumpstarting your desire to be an advocate for the beef industry?
1: Yes, <laughs> it did. I will just say, answer that second question right now. Yes, it did have a lot to do with jumpstarting my desire to advocate for the beef industry. Uh, the Experience was really really great. I actually learned of the Masters of Beef Advocacy when I was at the Nebraska Young Cattlemen's Conference in 2009. We had a media training and Darren Williams was the media trainer from NCBA at our or for our YCC group and he mentioned that they were having this program coming out later that year and it was going to help producers, you know, because the beef industry is segmented, like we don't all pasture to plate raise beef. There's the cow calf person and the steed stock person and the feed yard and all the variations in between. And so not all of us do all of the things. And so this program was going to take us from pasture to plate. So we could learn all the different segments and then help us learn how to talk to people outside of the beef community about beef. And I was all about it because like I said, I had seen this disconnect growing just from being on social media and I really, really wanted to do more. And so as soon as that program was available, I jumped on it and I encouraged a few of the people in my local cattlemen's affiliate to take it with me. And it was just a really, a really great experience.
0: So, beyond that, you've also participated in the Masters of Beef Advocacy top of the class. How are those two different, Taryn? And is that what does that involvement maybe look like with that program?
1: So, in order to be part of the top of the class, you have to have taken the Masters of Beef Advocacy class. And the top of the class is like the next level. So, once you've taken Masters of Beef Advocacy and you've kind of started on social media or a blog or, you know, wherever talking about beef, then the next step is top of the class. And, um, when I took top of the class, which was also again, several years ago, now we did more media training. Uh, we did like a cooking segment, a mock cooking segment, we got more in depth on how to use social media and some hot topics of the day and how to talk about them. Taking the Masters of Beef Advocacy and the top of the class program and doing being present online has given me the opportunity to travel around and talk to different groups about beef and what we do on the ranch. And so I'm really just thankful that I was involved in those and had the opportunity to do all of that.
0: For producers who maybe don't have a platform or maybe don't share about, you know, some of the topics related to beef and advocacy on social media or things like that, Taryn, is there still a benefit to them to participate in the Masters of Beef
1: Advocacy Program? And would you encourage them to do so? Oh, for sure. Just because you're not online doesn't mean you can't talk about what you do. I mean, even if you raise your own beef and eat, eat the beef you raise, You still, I'm assuming, have to go to the grocery store for things and you can hang out at the beef case and talk to people as they come by and help them out. There's opportunities everywhere in everyday life to tell your story. It doesn't have to be online. Um, And so, yeah, I would say that the Masters of Beef Advocacy is really beneficial to every producer.
0: And what a good reminder. Like you said, you don't have to be online to be able to share your story and to maybe correct some of that misinformation or just answer questions that consumers might have about the beef that they consume. And so never underestimate your own platform, whatever that might be digital or not. So in addition to general beef and ag advocacy topics on your blog, you also create and share beef recipes and and recipes in general. Have you always enjoyed spending time in the kitchen, creating new recipes?
1: Well, I've always enjoyed spending time in the kitchen, but it wasn't until I, you know, got married and started cooking more that I really enjoyed creating new recipes. Like, it's almost like a game for me, you know that that show Chopped,
0: (laughs) yeah, yes,
1: yeah, (laughs) mystery ingredients, and then they have to make something. Like, that's kind of how I feel when I'm in the kitchen because I suppose we live in a place that would be considered a food desert. It's 25 miles to the nearest grocery store and and that's 25 miles, but it takes us 40 minutes to get there. And it's a really small grocery store. If we want to go to a grocery store that has a bigger selection, it's at least an hour to get there. And so, one of my favorite things is like taking a recipe and making it with the things I have. Like one of the recipes that I have on my blog is I think I called it Sandhills ground beef chowder, which is a play on New England clam chowder. But obviously we can't get really good clams here because we're like landlocked. And I mean, clams, we can get clams in a can, but it's not the same thing. But I like clam chowder, but I can't get good clams. So I'm like, well, what would be close to that? And so I used ground beef and and reworked the recipe And now we eat Sandhills ground beef chowder.
0: That's awesome. So I'm one of those like by the book cooks. So I'm always impressed by people who can create new recipes or play around with new ideas and ingredients. Like I watched Chopped and I'm like, I would never even think of that. I wouldn't even know what to do. So I'm, I'm totally inspired by your ability to do that. Where do you get your inspiration for new recipes, Taryn?
1: Well, mostly my inspiration comes out of necessity because I, like I said, we live in what some might consider a food desert. And so I very seldom have what, like, I very seldom have everything that a recipe calls for. And so I'll just like play around with whatever I have. And sometimes it turns out to be really, really good. I will say though, if I was ever on chopped, I would probably not do well because I, that, that time pressure, like I can do okay if I got all the time in the world to make something up, but that time pressure would kill me. Yeah, for sure.
0: An added element of, of pressure. Like you said, do your, do your kids like to be in the kitchen with you as well? Yes, they, they do. And
1: I am not a very, I'll say organized person and I'm pretty chill about most things, but I will say that I have a hard time with the kids in the kitchen. And so I'm working on that (laughs) because yeah, the spilling and the, yeah, I just, I, it's something I'm working on. Yeah. I can relate to
0: that. You, you learn a new level of patience, all of that when flour is maybe spilling everywhere and yeah, I can relate (laughs)
1: But yes, they like to be in the kitchen. And in fact, they really like to play chopped. So sometimes I'll give them mystery ingredients and just let them go to town. And, you know, sometimes they come up with some pretty cool stuff. That's fun. A cool way to spend time together. So the name of the
0: podcast, as you know, is Trailblazing in Agriculture, and it's so fun getting to highlight trailblazers like yourself who are doing remarkable things in the ag industry. And I've enjoyed visiting about the work that you do on your ranch and also just how you use your blog as a platform for many things, like you said, to talk about your faith and your family, um, but also just to, to promote beef and the beef industry. I'm curious, Taryn, can you tell me about a trailblazer
1: in your life and someone who has inspired you? I find inspiration in a lot of places, but to answer this question more specifically, my parents are probably the most influential people. Not probably they are the most influential people or have been the most influential people in my life. I mean, by most standards, those two are probably pretty ordinary and my childhood was probably pretty ordinary, but I feel like they did a really extraordinary job of raising my brothers and myself they instilled in us a work ethic and and showed us the value of hard work and perseverance. And they really just they did a really good job parenting and they definitely blazed a trail for me in who I am as a person and a spouse and a parent. And I just I'm really grateful for those two. <laughs> Thank goodness for good parents.
0: Yeah. Well, Taryn, thank you so much for sharing your story and taking time to visit with me. I really, like I said, I have enjoyed getting to learn more about you and your platform and the work that you're doing and just your, your genuine desire and passion for sharing about the ag industry and and the things that you get to experience. So thank you so much for taking time to join us on this episode of the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really had fun in our conversation and I'm I'm so thankful that you invited me on. Taryn's passion
0: for the beef industry and willingness to share openly about ranch life and other things she faces as a wife and mom is so inspiring. I hope you enjoyed hearing her story as much as I did. Thanks again for joining me for today's episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture featuring Taryn Dreeling. Join me again next time as our journey to highlight Trailblazing Women in Agriculture continues.